Welcome to the Dark Zone Adventures and Podcast. This is your host, Brian Gatins. That's right, your podcast player is not broken. No music, no intro, nothing. We're diving right into the podcast today. This is due to the fact that I am working remote. I am down at a little race in Florida called the Keys 100. I've had access to my regular material. So thanks for being here. Today's guest is Stefan Muller, race director for the Adventure Racing World Series World Championship this October 2023. Stefan is an established racer himself, has a lot to say about the course and about training and about being an adventure racer, and this is a solid episode. Before we get into the episode, quick thanks to Enabled Tracking. Mark and his team over at Enable Tracking do a great job serving all your race tracking needs, and they are this episode's sponsor. Thank you, Mark and Margot and family, for all that you do for racing. Because of you, we get to watch the dots. Find them at enabledtracking.com. That's enough out of me. Here's Stefan. Enjoy the episode. So welcome to the Dark Zone, an adventure racing podcast. It's your host, Brian Gatins. Uh, today we have the race director for the 2023 Adventure Racing World Championships, Stefan Muller, all the way from South Africa. We have good Wi-Fi. We're feeling good about the call right now. Uh, we had a reschedule due to some uh, tooth issues with me, but uh, adventure racing, right, Stefan, we have to sort of go with the flow and be flexible. So I appreciate your desire to, to, to find a new time for us to do this. Welcome to the Dark Zone. We're very excited that the World Championship is coming to South Africa. Tell us a bit about the race. Yes, um, it's been a long time coming. It would be our um, 12th um, Expedition Africa. Our first one was in 2011. We've um, transversed all of Southern Africa, all our neighboring countries. We even went as far as Rodriguez, just of Mauritius. So um, it's our third time actually in our province, the Eastern Cape. Um, I think the big difference between the little bit I've traveled overseas and, and privileged I had of, of, of attending other races is um, that um, is that our country with our nine provinces is very varied. So I, I, we don't look. One province doesn't look like the other province. So you can come to South Africa multiple times and have very different sort of nature experiences. Yeah. So, so this is your, your, your 12th expedition race. So you have a lot of experience putting races together. As you pointed out, South Africa is a very varied uh, topography, geography. You get a lot of different parts of the country when you go around there. What is it about the Eastern Cape that really distinguishes that from the other the, from the other parts of the country, terrain wise, weather wise, things like that? What can what can racers expect when they make their way there? Look, the Eastern Cape, um, obviously, it's, it's obviously on the coast. Um, if you look at the um, geography of of Southern Africa, especially South Africa, sort of everything along the coast is. Um, is, is although there is the big animals, it is not the well, you can't say it's not a natural habitat. Obviously, they were there a long time ago, but your majority of your your big game reserves are um are in the in the northern part of the country. So where we where it's a little bit dangerous. We have in the Eastern Cape, we have a lot of game reserves, but it is very controlled. Um, so that is the that is the one thing. Um, and there's no malaria in, on the coast. Plus, because we're on the coast, we have that extra angle if we can add every you know different leg. Um, we have you know a bit of different rocky coast sandal sand coast where if you're in the middle of the country, you only really have bushveld. Um. Gotcha. So so bring it to the cape, bring it on the water. You mentioned some of the uh, things go in your favor, right? The fact that the malaria is not really present. The larger animals are to the north. You're on the water. 
And so clearly the, the, the racers over the course of the event, the world, the world championship can expect a lot of different legs, a lot of different terrain as you've come, begin to map out the race yourself. And it's always hard to talk about the race before it happens because race directors have to be thoughtful about releasing too much information. What, what are the, the, the stages that you're expecting riders to uh, racers to go through? Obviously we'll have mountain biking, we'll have trekking, we'll have water. What are the, what other, what other experiences can racers expect? Yeah, look, um, our philosophy with, 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 with expedition racing is obviously we more with tradi traditional um, um, line racing, basically start and finish in different areas. And it, it's sort of always to create that expedition feel um, and not really doing any loops. Well, we don't do any loops at all. Um, we Everything goes straight. So sometimes our logistical line is as long as our, our lines on the ground. So that puts a lot of pressure on us. But it's just our style that we've maintained over the last 12 years. And it's probably where we, you know, originated from when we raced and that type of thing. In those eras, all your big races were like that. So that's sort of our style. I mean, there's no right and wrong in adventure racing. And obviously that 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 gives to the to the, the uniqueness of the sport that every area, every race director, you're gonna find a different experience. But I think that is the, the plus point of the sport. But um, so um the area where we are now, we are quite actually going quite far from the coast. So we obviously work in kilometers. Uh, our furthest line away away from the coast is nearly three to four hundred kilometers away from the coast. So it, it, it's and and we move into an area which we call the Karoo. So the Karoo is like a sort of a semi-deserty sort of area, quite flat with these long mountain ranges. Um, I think that's quite unique. So it doesn't sound that exciting as you, as you talk about it, but when you look at it visually especially from a photography point of view and from a sunset point of view, from a starry night point of view, that huge vistas type of thing. So we're moving into that area, which we have actually have never gone that far if we had a coastal race. So um, this race is um, a little bit more mountain bike heavy than we would normally do. If you, if you compare it um, against last year where we were in Lesotho, which is the mountain kingdom, we were over 50% on foot. We're here, we're nearly 65% on bike. So that's quite, that's it. But but it's because of the distances we cover. And then obviously the mountain biking becomes a little bit faster than normal because of it's more sort of a flatter sort of deserty area. Hard pack roads, that type of roads. So it sounds like the, the, the racers that are coming, and we'll talk about numbers in a second in different countries, things like that, because the World Championship is obviously the World Championship, a lot of interest around it. It sounds like really early on when people begin to plan and train for the race, as you shared just now, a big, long, burly course, a lot of distance, a lot of time on your bike, a lot of those hard pack roads going from stage to stage to stage. And that's good for the racers to know in preparation, because it's always good to have a sense for what's laying down the road for them. And you mentioned the the vistas, you mentioned the the, the mountain ranges and the, and the long distance away from the coast. So racers right now, I'm sure, are taking notes at home as we're listening to the podcast about what how they have to prepare for the race. You mentioned that you've race previously yourself and race directors very often begin as racers themselves after giving us a taste of the world championship course which you just did for us now obviously your own experience as a racer has informed your course design tell us a bit about your racing experience when did you get started yes basically where it all started i had a i was i was in a, in a permanent force in a defense force for quite a while six or seven years of my life and in, in, in southern africa and um one of my friends who was with me in the army, he, in, in 99, gives away our age, but anyway, in 99, um, um, he, he actually contacted me. He said, he's sending me something in the post, and it was a VHS 
cassette. I don't know if people know still what the VHS cassette is. <laughs> and on that was um, Eco Challenge Borneo Malaysia um, promo promotional video. Um, and he sent me that, and, and it was 99. So it was just pre 2000 when the IT boom hit the world, that IT year when everyone, he was also in that in that space. So they company listed and there was a lot of extra funds available. And um, he said he's going to enter this race and sort of he, he gathered a few of us that were, had some other experiences together in our previous lives. Uh, and that is where I started. My first adventure race in my life was Eco Challenge. I've never done an adventure race. So, you're, so literally off the couch. Obviously, you had military experience, but off the couch. First race yeah. was Eco Challenge. How'd that go for you? Yeah. It was actually quite interesting. I think we had, in those days, we had, like, we had 12 days to finish. I think there were like 80-something teams. And I think about 40 maybe finished. I think it took us about 10 days. I think the winners were in about five or six days or whatever. It took us about 10 days. And I think we came like 32nd or 34. But we got all over the line. We finished the course. So that was quite an experience. And um, and then when we came back, it's actually the same year I met, met Heidi. When we came back, our adventure racing in our country only started sort of in that 99, 2000. That was the first race ever in our country. Um, and then basically, yeah, from then we we raced. We raced, you know, maybe between me and Heidi, we've done maybe 10, 15 expedition races. Until about I mean, 10, and for those at home right now who are wondering, the Heidi that, that Stefan is referring to is Heidi Muller, yeah, who's an adventure racer. Also, she's the CEO of the Adventure Racing World Series. And we'll talk about that dynamic in a little while, Stefan, about having your wife be the CEO and what that must be like for you. But but you yeah. you so you went from in the defense forces, you walked into Eco Challenge Borneo race that and yes. then your then your adventure racing career just took off from there and you did and you, you've never looked back yes yeah at that stage it was very healthy in our country our, our adventure racing circuit we had two or three or maybe good big organizers so it was every year at least one or two expedition races we actually raced xpd in australia we had a bit of international look our, our currency is not very strong so obviously it's, it's expensive for us to travel so we had that opportunity and um, yeah, we raced. And then when the babies came in 2010, 2011, we made the switch from, you know, from um, from more racing to organizing. You know? So how did you find that? How did you find the, and a lot of racers go through that, right? People race when they have, they have less life responsibilities, life gets more challenging and they shift from a racing mindset to a, a directing or a volunteering mindset. How did you find that switch for yourself? And what, what about your racing experience informed your race directing experience how did you make that transference i think i think the main thing is you know it's obviously my viewpoint but i mean even now i'm thinking of of, of uh, yesterday me and heidi were hiking the first leg of our race which is only like a you know it's a trek leg so we probably did about 10 kilometers and it's quite a, a section that we went from inland to the coast and um we had to walk up this dune to get to the coast and then and, and it's and a little example but I think the feeling of what you're experiencing, it's its its what you must try and feel, what the athlete's going to feel at that specific point. When is enough is enough? When is a, you know, when is a beach hike that going on for 50K is too much? Maybe you should stop at 10. When is a damn paddle, which is boring? Or you have to try and, you don't get it always right. And obviously there's different opinions about it. But I think I think the, the, the biggest carryover is that you must, while you are racing, you experience certain emotions in each leg and highs and lows and, when you're scouting, you try and you try and envision where the what is the athlete's going to feel at that stage. So when is a leg enough? When is it? When is a hundred k hike too much or a trek too much? And it should be it should have been eighty k's. You know when is it? You're making a distance, and when is it still adventurous? But 
again, you know, you just hope you're always right. But I think that's the main thing, the feeling. Gotcha. And so obviously having done some big races yourself and definitely want to get back into your racing stories and your racing success. But the point you're making there is, is that as, a, as someone who's done the racing himself, you you have a, a ballpark idea. You have a sort of a guess and how much is too much. Because you're right, because sometimes there are race directors and there's no perfect formula. But what I hear you're saying is, is that you go on gut feeling, you go on experience and you go on what the other what, the, what you believe the teams would enjoy on the course at that time. But what did you learn from races that went bad for you? Yeah, like I, I don't really, I must say, um, there's obviously nights that you would like to forget because you couldn't find the checkpoint. And sometimes, you know, in the earlier days, there were errors, you know, from a, from the races, from an organizer's point of view about placing checkpoints and that. But I mean, I would say my, I don't really have, I mean, I think that's the whole thing about adventure races and people who follow the sport. You have a short memory for the bad stuff. You know, I think most people get to each leg, end of the race, and they would say never again. And that if you, it's a fleeting moment. <laughs> the search for something bigger and better, you know, it's a it's a thing. It's it's the you can't describe it. Why do you keep on coming back? I mean, even organizing it doesn't. Other than the comp, I mean, I would say our main motivation is the accomplishment of what we promised to. We promised a certain a certain outcome for, for teams. And if we can accomplish that outcome, I think that is where the satisfaction comes from. You can't say it's, you know, financially or it's it's whatever. I mean, it's obviously everybody got their own motivation. But um, yeah, it, it, how do you describe it? It's it's it, it why? Why do you actually, you know, organize it? Why do you race it? Why do you follow it? It is something that's there. And I think once it captures you, it you don't really have to describe it. It's just it's, you know. It just is what it is, right? Yeah, it's one of these things. I think I think you're right about that. It, it's a it's a sport and it's an experience. It's a community that is resistant to analysis, right? It's it's hard it's hard to define what it is and why people do it. And to that point, like the people that 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 live in it, they who hear the music of it and enjoy the adventure racing, they're into it. But it's tough to transfer that to other people. And and the point that you made, and I, yeah, I laughed when you said it was, I know many a racer who. 80% into a race, 75% into the race, when they're beat up and they're tied and their feet are, are, are hamburger and they're exhausted, they're never doing this again. And then they rally a bit and they get, and getting that checkpoint's a great feeling, right? It's, it's a little shot of dopamine, makes you feel good. And you cross that finish line. And I know many a racer who on the drive home from the race was like, when's our next one? Like no matter how bad it was, how, how hard it was, there's something about it that touches them inside. And I want you to Try to talk a bit more about that because, it, it, like I said, it's resistant to analysis, resistant to discussion. But time and time again, there are members of the events racing community that just keep throwing themselves at these big challenges. And you're going to have many teams coming in there in October of this year, mm. taking part in your course, who are who are going through the time and the effort and the expense, and they're going through all of that to get to your race. Why do they do that? Because it's so hard to train, to plan, to get the gear and to get there. Tell us why you think people keep coming back to the sport. I think, I mean, I think it's the allure of it. I mean, I've got actually a, 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 a very good example that we have a, we have a team which are, which have been racing many years in our country. And I think the average age is around 70 to 72 years old. And, um, they want, and they've been doing all our, all our big races. And then they always, what they do, they look at the two transitions and they find the shortest route between the two transitions. Never mind <laughs> My <which>. heroes. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and and I mean, we had a big discussion of, of should they enter our, this race? Because this race are not, is not like that. So like example, Lesotho, 
because it's all on, on, on tribal land. I mean, you know, you you can do whatever you want between points. There's no permissions needed. You know, once you got the permission of the king, it's like a canvas where now we got to over a lot of private, I mean, a majority of our route is private land. So we have to get, and a lot of them are game farmed, although no serious, you know, dangerous game is still game farm. So you have to, you have to work out how the people are actually going to enter and exit these properties, you know, via gates and whatever, whatever the private, you know, so you can respect the private fairness landowner and actually the point i'm trying to make is that for them this route won't work out because it's so because it, it, it is pretty much a line race and um and then the whole discussion is is you know normally I would, okay not working out for me it will be too long for me where they were trying how can we actually how can i actually make it for them possible and i put it in my route planning because they want to be at the start they want to be at the finish they want to be part of it and i think that is it it's, it, it's this this sort of adventure that you're going to do. Remember that, that you know, it's also very different in our country because it's all on private land. You know, we're not going through nature reserve, but it's you know, pretty much all over the world. Probably the same thing is that the feeling you want to create for the teams is what you are doing now, you can't do on your own. If you want to go plan this little adventure on your own, it's nearly impossible to do, you know, from a logistical point or whatever. So it's that sort of allure to this unknown thing, although you know, the pain you're gonna go in. I mean, it's only that top, what say 10, 15 teams that 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 really can conquer a course and then walk off and feel, look like they have done nothing. The rest of the people are are paying, are paying every step of the way. So they come back for that. And and how many teams do you have coming to the world championships? What's your current registration? Um look at look, our, our registration system is a little bit different, maybe than than other other years, that we basically don't ask sort of any financial sort of you know, payment in the beginning. People only started to pay now. So basically everybody can enter. So I think um, our, our biggest, I think the, we, we, we were over 150 teams that actually entered. And I think we around about 100 and say maybe 55 or so that's still on the list. A lot of, most of the teams that that's that out is actually people who merge. I would say 90% is teams who got one or two members and I couldn't find somebody else and I looked on the list and I joined. Right. Most of the people actually coming still so our always our plan was sort of between 100 and 115 and the reason that, that, i ask that question is is that there's a to your point there's only going to be so many teams on the podium at the end of the race yeah. right you have 150 teams starting it's a it's going to be a three-team podium maybe five-team podium so of the 150 teams 145 of them are, are racing for the rest of those spots and yet they still get out there and yet they still get into the race so many people go into endurance sports and they 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 go into it with the idea that they have to succeed in this very like binary sort of way. Adventure racing, we measure success in a with a with a different scale. We don't see it the same way as the as a lot of other sports do. Yes, I think I think all teams will have a moment. So your winning team's moment will obviously be when they cross the finish line. Your top three or four five teams' moment will be when they stand on the podium. But the majority of the teams won't ever have those moments. The moment they will have is that after day eight where they looked for six, seven hours for the same checkpoint. And on top of this ridge and the sun comes up, that's their moment. And um, team number, racing number 79, they've been toiling between them and team 80 for the last five days in front and back, in front and back. And when they cross the finish line, they're in 79th. And the team that they've been around so long for five days are now in 80th. And that is their moment. So... They will have moments in that. I mean, we give the teams nine days to finish, nine and a half days. So they all going to have that moment where they they're going to obviously have lots of bad moments too, but they're going to have that moment where they're going to see this, this, this is the reason. 
Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's an important thing is the, as the dark zone talks about adventure racing, it talks about the sport itself. We always pound away at that idea that the way that we measure those experiences, like people go through that for that experience. Right. And for everybody, it's different. Now, along the way, you have to hold it together, right? You got, you got to take care of yourself, your body, your feet. You got to take care of your teammates. There's all these pieces that have to come together to have that experience. You have to earn that experience, right? What do you yeah. see in your experience as a, as a racer and as a race director? What advice do you have for a team? What do you say at the beginning of the race to a team? When you're giving your pre-race talk and you want people to get ready for the race, mentally speaking, where do you want their head to be? Look, I think... Um... Um, I think teams who have, have, have we look, we've been fortunate that in our country we get a lot of returning teams. You know, some of the teams have been three or four times Expedition Africa. So those teams who have, you know, have raced in our country and know our style, it obviously gives them a, a little bit of advantage that 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 it, it is big legs, long legs, not many control points. You know, so our our, our sort of balance between our we got basically we got our six disciplines in our sport. We have you know, we got on foot, on bike, on 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 boat, and then the other three disciplines, which is just as important, is basically the navigation, and the teamwork, and then obviously, lastly, the transitions. So, our sort of, um, um, how can you put it, sort of where we come from is that all those six legs, all those six disciplines should have an equal value. You shouldn't have a team that is a top top navigator, and then obviously have a huge advantage. You shouldn't have a team that's a top top. Parallel have advantage. So everybody is, if you have a, a very good um, skill set and all those six disciplines, you should have, this would be the race for you. So, so it's not as, I mean, I've, I mean, we've obviously in the last few years been very privileged traveling a bit of the AR World Series circuit. And it's always interesting for me because obviously I've got my perception of what I see an ideal course or an ideal or, or range race is, whatever. And then I go to a country, you know, many with different styles and way of they, you know, they place their points and how they put it all together. Um, and then I would say, well, this is another way we do it. And then, you know, in my head, try and keep it just not like, you know, try to keep it to myself, but then I would speak to all the races. And luckily we know a lot of them. And it's always just interesting for me that it doesn't, they, there is no style. The, the, the athletes will, they just want to have the adventure they want to have that, and 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 that's what the, it's always amazes me that, that that the teams are so open and receptive to all these different organizers of all these different styles, and they just want to experience um, this adventure and 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 the journey around this adventure. You definitely get some teams that come to the country, they land, they race, they go home, and then you get some teams who just embraces this whole lifestyle. You know, they go a little bit earlier, they experience the country, the food, the culture. It's just interesting for me, and I think, yeah, it's 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 such a privilege to have that to have that ability to travel all over the world and race like this. It's 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 it's, it's, it's yeah, it's a massive privilege. Yeah. Well, it's funny you say you, you made me laugh because you know we're on the cusp of adventure race. Croatia is starting on on Monday morning, and and friends of the of the of the podcast, uh, Andre Anderson and Chip Dodd from Team Disability, who I know that you know. They've been in Croatia for a few days and it's like, it's like they're making a travelogue documentary. So you're right. I mean, you really absorb these races. And to your point, I remember one time we we were racing down in Ecuador um, and we were in this, the, the Patate, the central part of the country. And it was, you know, you're coming across Sunrise and Cotopaxi's in the distance and you just look and you, you think to yourself, like, you, you have to earn this view. You have to earn this experience. And if it wasn't for an adventure race, you wouldn't find yourself there at that time, at that moment to see that thing. So you're right. Um, I did find it very interesting. You, you just talked about the idea of those six disciplines and the idea of the balance between them, right? That you don't want to favor anyone over the other. 
Um, and I love the idea of the uh, different race, race directors have styles. Coming back to Igor with Adventurous Croatia, Igor has a ton of checkpoints. And he has this fast, high transition race, a big different race style from, from what you're doing in Africa. But his style, just as valid, just as strong, the way that he puts his races yeah. together. And you have that big variety. So contrasting that kind of a race with the idea of the line race that you have, in your experience with ARWS and with traveling to other races, what has always appealed to you? What is what kind of racing have you always liked to do? Um, look, look, my my first love is is orienteering, um, and I mean, I I, I do of, of, as an individual sport. You know, if I compare to you know marathon running or ultra marathon running, where I come from, or you know Ironman, that type of events, orienteering is still you know I, I still get the most satisfaction out of it, even if it's just a shorter course. But um, um, yeah, it, it's very different in Africa. We we you know we are, we have no no go zone. You know our route is as as I can't even remember when I ever had a no go zone. We can go anywhere. So so you know it opens it up. If I if I had to race in Spain and that and organize it there or even France, if you look at those routes, they have so many areas which are not allowed to go or taros or you know just first world sort of areas. So they have to put lots more checkpoints to sort of force people into certain ways but um yeah it's actually it, it, that's what i say it's interesting to me it, it, it's it doesn't affect the teams the team just want to have a solid race where the where the organizer whatever they promise they delivered and you know in, and all the stuff that has to be right has to, is right there's no obvious errors and stuff and i think then teams just embrace it and so if i look at paraguay for example where we where, where basically it's you know you had a long sort of line of cycling and every now and again you have a loop in between you know people love that you know right. and it's, it's like totally contrast of what we do um but that is the beauty of the sport so yeah. you know it's hard to say i think it, it it must match the area obviously i mean in lesotho we had 500 kilometers we had 25 checkpoints in 500 kilometers yeah some some checkpoints were like 30 kilometers from one checkpoint to another checkpoint but they had all these hundreds of route choices so it, it 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 another area that we are we are I'm busy actually finishing that on Monday is it's an area of cattle farming. They got so many fences there. So I have to put checkpoints to sort of force people through the gate because we just there we just cannot climb over these fences because some of the cattle in that area is very, very high value cattle, specific sort of you know, specific sort of type of cattle. So you have to really respect the, the, the landowners. And when we get to the next trek, I'm 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 in mean, only I've got 80 kilometers of, of game farms. We only traverse through game farms. So they've got a few gates where they have to go through because you can't climb over the fences and the big fences. But each game farm is 15, 20,000 hectares. So we're looking at 15 to 20 kilometers walking on one person's farm before we get to the next person's farm. Where we've got hundreds of tracks and you know and animals and that. So yeah, it's 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 very different. So I think uh, I think I don't think any organizer basically before said this is the way I'm doing it. Doesn't matter where I'm going. Um, and when we look at our race we had in 2019 Rodriguez, we had an 18 kilometer island from point to point, and we had a 400 kilometer race on it. Although there were lots of loops and stuff, it it it, it still worked well. We had 75 teams there. So I think you you, you just basically fitted to the area, and then and then once once you know whatever system you decided must just. It must work that way. Living here in the East Coast of America with, with high urban sprawl and a lot of density, race directors very often have to do the loop, for example. For example, the Endless Mountains last year, the Rootstock, Rootstock Racing put a great race on. They had a final you know, um, massive canoe to finish the race. There were two times on that paddle where you left the water 
ditched your canoe, you went into the woods, you did a, a loop, an orienteering loop, got back on the boat, because we don't have that spread of land here, right? Every time you turn around, you, you bump into that. And, and the parts of the country here that have that wide open spread of land are very often hard to get to. And so as a result, we yeah. find with our these, these races here, you kind of force people. And to your point about yeah. checkpoints, that very often race directors will use checkpoints to drive direction, that we want teams to go in a certain way. So therefore, they're going to force you to that sort of a checkpoint. And I, I really like the point you made about like Rodriguez and the point you made about, you know, we talk about Croatia, and that the race director works with what they have. And I think about Patagonia, right? Those big Patagonia races, massive races, hundreds of miles, 10 checkpoints, five checkpoints, where you just have to figure your own way out along the way. Really, really mm -hmm. something else um, that you see there. You know, we're, we're going to the Faroe Islands in, in August. Team Dark yeah. Zone is heading up there. And, you know, the Faroes, for those who don't know, it's a it's an island chain, if you will, in northern, it's part of Denmark, it's north of Scotland. And there's like 18 islands. And there's no doubt in our mind that the big trek they're going to have there is going to be a pack raft and between different islands, that you're going to carry your double pack raft and you're going to be in the open ocean getting in between. The race directors work with what they have. Right. And clearly you get to build the kind of race that you're able to build up there in Africa gives you so many different options. So if someone's sitting home right now and if they want to consider, first of all, could you still sign up for the race? Is it is it still open registration for the world championships? Yes, we, we close end of May. So we have another two or three weeks. And um, yeah, and there's, a, there's, there's a probably about, I think, I think we have about we are at about 95 confirmed now and about another 50 or 40 that's on the list that's sort of still thinking or not thinking or whatever. What's it like getting yeah. there logistically? Where do you where do you fly into? How does it work? If a team wants to come, like what do they have to think about? Because we all know that the hardest part of a race is getting to the race. <laughs> right? Getting to the start is the hardest part. What does that look like in terms of transfers, flying in, accommodations? What's it like for the racer? Now look, 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 COVID obviously played a bit of havoc with, with general air travel and the amount of airlines are still available. But your two main entries into South Africa from an international base is basically either Cape Town on the coast or Johannesburg, which is inland, um, uh, depending on where, you, where you're coming from. So from America and from the North America, South America, that's probably Cape Town is more easier. In Joburg, if you go through one of the hubs in Dubai or Doha, one of those places. Um, and then basically our coastal town closest to our resort is called Port Elizabeth, or they, it's got a new name now, Kaberga, um, which is a local name. And um, there, there with a little bit of a hiccup because when we planned it two, three years ago, it was like five major airlines that that flew from all those hubs. And at the moment, there's only like three. So we lost two or three airlines there. So that does, does bring our, not our per people capacity down, but it brings our bike box capacity down. Right. Because all the planes book you know they don't book equal seats to bike boxes so that is a, that is a little bit of a little bit of concern but we can't really get a hang of it yet because everybody hasn't bought a look at this six months to go everybody hasn't bought their air ticket so um and then a lot of teams comes earlier but i mean if if and then basically that airport is an hour's drive away from our host resort which is in caps and francis that resort is full now they've you know they've reached their capacity and so what the resort are doing now, there's, it's, it's a holiday town. So there's many houses around the resort, which they are busy now sort of sourcing for everybody. Um, but most of the teams have booked their accommodation already. And then, yeah, the only other sort of thing that we will work on is that we are based in Johannesburg. Our, my practice is in Johannesburg. So, um, and all our trucks and trailers are based there. So basically we will then, if we find we have a problem, we will do some land transport of, it's about 10 hour drive with our trucks and trailers to get bikes in and out. If But it hasn't been, 
I'm sure it will happen, but we haven't got to that step yet because the teams are still busy booking. And a lot of teams, obviously, are, are especially teams who want to do well, they understand the time zone issues. They they are they are arriving much earlier, and then obviously the Eastern Cape where we are, we within we within thirty minutes drive from any lion, elephant. You know, you can go in on a, on in a, on a, in a, on a, on a, on a, on a, on a public, um, you know, national game reserve where you can drive your own car or basically you know hop onto one of their cars. But there's a lot of private reserves. Obviously, it's a little bit out of our sort of budget for most South Africans, but for overseas people. That five-star game experience or seven-star game experience. If you if you have the funds, I mean, you know, that's it's it's such an it's you know such an experience to be you know be taken basically to any animal within touching distance and be spoiled like that. But it is a costly a costly affair. But you can do it for a day or two. So and then that's just the game. I mean, you know, on the garden route on the way to Cape Town, it's probably one of the most scenic. It's like your sort of your road between San Francisco and San Diego, LA, that sort of coastal trip. You know, one yep. of those, you know, people from overseas, you know, from abroad always like to, you know, do a drive like that. So that's sort of that type of drive. So there's a lot of other stuff to do for teams who want to travel on and the wine farms and all the normal stuff and so on. On the, on the coast, it's, it's all close, yeah. And to your point, right? Like, you know, a lot, lot of racers, if they have the time and capacity, they, they, they wrap either side of the trip. They want to see that what's there and, and you've done a very nice job on your social media, done a nice job on your website, explaining that the, the, the world championship is, is not in some remote area that you, that's hard to get to. And there's nothing to see to your point. It's a resort town. It's a gorgeous, it's a beautiful town. And if a team could work it out, you can come there, you can do the big race. And if on either side, spend some time there visiting the game farms and really absorbing up the, the South African cultural experience. And so I think that's a really nice opportunity for teams that want to get there because to your credit, Am I right that this is the first time the World Championships are being held in Africa? First time. First time, right. So that's once again, too, a bit of a momentous occasion, right? The fact that the Worlds are coming there. I'm going to Paraguay next year, but definitely coming to you. Right now, if, if a team wants to consider coming out there, you mentioned the, the amount of biking they're doing, all of that. What other training do you rec do you find the best teams take part in? Do you, do you as, as a racer yourself, what always served you the best when it came to your racing? Well, um, they start with the paddle because the paddle is on a is on a sort of grade one, yeah, you know, maybe one and a half sort of rapid river. About seven, there's only one paddle because the Eastern Cape at the moment, well, the last sort of eight or nine years, there's been a, quite a lot of a drought. There's a few dams, there's a few coastal rivers, but the dams are are not. Um, we do it. We use it on smaller races. It's not world. It's not world championship standard. You know, dropping the boat, doing a loop on the on the dam, getting checkpoints, coming back and going on. It's not, it's not our style. You can do it, but it's not our style right. on this type of race. If it right. was a normal weekend race, you know, to make it logistically easy for us, we'll do that. So the dams are not really that adventurous. Um, and 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 the coastal rivers, which is although it's beautiful, it's 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 you know on the maximum from anywhere on the beach, and you and the sea is out. You know, in Africa, you know, sea paddling, it's. You wake up in the morning and you look at the sea and say, I'm paddling now. You don't plan you're going to paddle on Saturday. Yes, so we have, I think, in, in 12 Expedition Africas, we had maybe six sea paddles paddle planned, and we probably only did two of them. It, it's, it's African sea, it's African sea. You don't, it's tough, you don't right? The weather, the wind, the water. Yeah, it's just too dangerous. And, you know, just, you know, just the, there's a couple of things lurking below also. But <laughs> especially in especially the area where we are now, because, you know, they, Orcas is quite a phenomenon in South Africa. The killer whales—they've been actually, you know, my in my youth there were no killer whales in Africa. In the last five, six, six years, 
maybe making an appearance on our south, southern coast. And they're basically chasing all the great whites up to the eastern coast. So I, I, I just want to say that I think the racers probably appreciate the fact that I, that you're not putting... <laughs> adventure racers do like danger, but eh, great white sharks, good call on your part. We, we On behalf so, of the yeah, racers, so, really, yeah. thank you for not doing that to us. So the paddling is basically you have to paddle on moving water, 60, 70 k's. That's what you're paddling leg. That's quite easy to train for. Um, and, and remember, we we supply the boat. So we use plastic sit on tops, double boats. So it's sort of that style, not a pack raft. Pack raft, if I had to get people pack raft on that leg, I would let, I would give 50% of the pack raft be still in, at the end of that leg will still be in one piece. Gotcha. You just have to, there's fawns. And if you're going to stay in the water, you're fine. But if you're going to touch any vegetation of your pack raft, it will be shredded. You know, so pack rafts, is, it, it's, it's not a thing. That, I mean, it's, it's, it's there is certain areas which is a wonderful thing, but Definitely not in the eastern Eastern Cape, but uh, we we have the we have the double seat. So people must just look on the website how those boats look because they are a bit different from a paddling way because they're a bit wider, you know. So you have your paddling strokes a little bit different. So that sort of that sort of paddling. Then um, the rest of the training is the long legs. You have to be the long legs. A lot of sand. We have we have the, so the, the so the, the um, job accomplished will be at the end of the race. I think we have how many? I think we have ten legs in our race. Yeah, ten. In legs, eight significant legs. Um, if if the people can come off and say each eight was a different experience, then I would say job accomplished from a root design. That you said, oh, that leg looked like that leg. This looked exactly. So it must be the plan is to make every look, every leg look and feel different than the previous one. Um, and 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 if we can get that right, then that that is that is our sort of our aim. So uh, there is a lot of dunes. There's a lot of sand. There's a lot of in in and the brush are very are very uh, you know on the brush is tough. So a lot of the hikes inland, you're not going to hike off route. You're going to stay on those game tracks, you know, jeep tracks, game tracks because it's harsh harsh vegetation. But in general, from a training point of view, long legs. You must sit on your bicycle for many hours. You must you must be on your feet for many hours. It's not really a wet race, so it's not that sort of wild coast. We have an area in our country it's called wild coast. We sort of Every kilometer you submerge your feet in water. So it's not that it's not a not a wet race. October, the weather will be also for, for the northern European teams, which doesn't really like the hot weather weather. It is October. And remember, May is our month in Africa. We always have Expedition Africa now, exactly now. And this, this week or two, I think the memory actually just came up from Lesotho. 12 months ago, we just claimed came out of Lesotho. It's actually snowing again in Lesotho today. But um, but in October, it's obviously a little bit hotter. So that is a thing that they have to get used to. Uh, and then just because it's world champs, it has to, you know, fit in with the calendar, you know, so, um, and, and and windy. But we're going so far inland. So every area, because we, we cross three different mountain ranges from the coast. Every time you cross a mountain range with a valley, or not a valley, a very vast flat piece in between, you go into a different sort of climate zone. So that, 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 I think that's going to be quite interesting for the teams. It can be hot and it can be very windy and cold on the coast, yeah. So definitely they're going to get a, a every ounce of racing is going to happen along the way, right? They, it, it feels like big, long, burly stage. It's going to be hot. It's going to be dry. There's going to be a lot of up. There's going to yeah. be a lot of down. Um, and with 90 plus teams out there, you know, we always have the idea that we, we create these, these, these very, very short lived intense communities of people, right? yeah. hundred teams, hundreds of people on the course. They got to take care of them from start to finish. I'm assuming will there be live tracking during the race? Yeah, and there's always live tracking. So um, we haven't really decided. So we have a we actually started our first race in 2012. We had our first live tracking. 
And since then, we sort of always done it in-house. Um, but we still have to decide exactly on it because we are, our system works on spot trackers and we are, um, and now with the power issues in our country, you know, we only can go satellite because um, obviously the, you know, our, our cell phone network is a bit under pressure. We have also, yeah, for many reasons. But um, with satellite tracking works very well, but we don't have enough units for all the teams so we can rent them out. So we're still sort of thinking of what sort of tracking system we're going to follow. But yeah, we always use it. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a definite. There's no question about it. I'm assuming that because it's World Championships that you're planning on having a rather robust media presence there for the purpose of describing the race to the rest of the world. Yeah, look, with the World Champs, it adds a little bit of a difference. So normally, if we have our Expedition Africa, I mean, everything is in-house. You know, we make our own daily videos. We make our own, you know, movie at the end and the normal the normal live, you know, coverage and that type of stuff. But once you do a World Champs, obviously, you get ARL Series um, media team with it. So you double up on your media team. So um, the normal stuff, the live tracking will happen. We still have our daily clip every day. We have our contribution of all our photographers on route um we we're still working on it but we we will have like we did in rodriguez we'll have a live show every night where we can call in different parties all over the world looking at it um so that sort of thing you know and then and then obviously because we have our series involved we're obviously looking at all these regions so we have a specific reporter for the north american aerial series series the only reports on their pages same with south america the same with individual for europe so Basically, for each of those regions, we have one person in charge running all those accounts and, and feeding that, especially the different languages. We, our main language is English, but we have to look after the, you know our, our Spanish market. We have to look after the European market. We have people from Endorphin Mag from the, for the French market. And obviously, we get um, Rob out from Sleep Monsters. So, yeah, that, that is, it's a large contingent to bring around. And, and again, because of our distances that we travel, you know, if I look at we know our world when we went to um, Paraguay, even when we went to Ozark now, you know, the distance that you travel per day is is measurable. In a couple of 10, 20, 30 kilometers. Some of our our yeah, our transitions are 200 kilometers apart. Right. So you have to move that media crew over that thing as when 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 our winner comes in on Monday afternoon, our last team is four hundred Ks away from us. Right. It's a long, you know, it's a long so, tail, the snake of the race, right? The mountain the ranges, races. mountain ranges are not mountain ranges where you can walk over you know it's 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 a big trips around so i think that to create this type of 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 massive line racing obviously you put yourself under much more pressure because suddenly you sit with a massive logistical line you don't you know we move our bicycle boxes four times so we move 600 bike boxes four times over a distance of 500 kilometers so you know it's multiple vehicles driving right through the night full time you know we have a little bit obviously a bit more african rules you know so we don't we not really apply to eight hours our volunteers work 24 7 you know there's not one person in the vehicle so there's a little bit of a, a little bit lax on that sort of you know restriction that other countries don't have so we, a, a, the big gear gets where it's got to go right because the worst feeling in the world as a race director is having an empty yeah. transition area racers coming in and the bike boxes aren't there so you're right you have to get the yeah. gear there so by hook or by crook you're going to get them there um, yeah, I know. Yeah. I know that the, the dark zone will definitely be a, a, a presence somehow at the at the World Championships. Yeah. We yeah. we always enjoy talking to to the racers and to the race directors. It, it it's it's a it's a wonderful experience, and it's a culmination too for the entire season's worth of racing. Because if you look now, it's you know for 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 posterity, it's now May of 2023, right? And if you look at your social media feed, all over the world, races are coming out. Raid Lowlands. We mentioned Croatia. There's races here coming in America. 
We have, um, you know, Expedition Canada's right around the corner. Endless Mountains is coming up again. I mean, we just had Ozark. I mean, there's races just everywhere. So it's good to see that the, the sport is thriving and the sport is growing. Um, you, you mentioned ARWS, right? And you have an interesting dynamic going right now because not only um, do you have to deal with ARWS as an entity, but you're also you're married to the CEO of ARWS, Heidi Muller. Mm-hmm. Talk to us a bit about that dynamic in terms of coordinating all of that and, and working alongside her and separating the race itself from the ARWS. How are you managing all of that? Yeah, look, it's 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 an interesting dynamic, but I mean, me and Heidi has been involved in event racing, you know, since two thousand, so twenty three years of of basically either racing or organizing, and and you know, un, until last year, we 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 been from from twenty ten till twenty till, till COVID basically came in twenty one, um, we were doing we were doing between ten and fifteen event races a year, just the two of us. You know, if, you, if it was a small series of weekend races up to 200 kilometers, and I mean, some years we had Expedition India for three years, we had two expeditions a year, Expedition India and Africa in the same year. So, you know, it, it basically, and I, I mean, that is only a part-time job for me. You know, I, I still have my my full-time medical practice, but um, but um, it's part of, it's so part of our lives. I mean, it, we, we basically, we 24-7, we work, you know, not very healthy, Right. You know, from a, but but it both both are in. So the fact that that idea is now on, on that side, I think it's just sort of a never something that was planned. It's sort of just the way it is. But we have scaled down in the last two years. I mean, we I mean, just from a sacrifice point of view, I mean, we, we moved the family a thousand kilometers away from our house. Where I've been driving, you know, for the last 12 months, been driving once a month down the coast, planning a week and go back and work again. And she's been here. So I haven't, you know, even my kids, I haven't seen that much. But either, you know, yeah, look, it is what it is, but it, it's not a thing that is sort of just fell in, fell in our lap. It is a sort of a, a lifelong thing that sort of, you know, ended where we where we are now. So I think we're quite in tune of with what the responsibilities are of, of what we have and 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 what we have to deliver to the market. And I think, I mean, we all know all the other dramas that's going out playing out in the world with adventure racing, which is very, very unfortunate. Um, but you know, it, it you know, time time is a, I think time is 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 the thing that will heal, and yeah, this is very unfortunate that it has to be and that that we have to run in that space also because it does. Yeah, that's all I can say about that. For those at home who are listening, Stefan is referring to the the ongoing conversation between Adventure Racing World Series and other organizations called A One with FISO and there's a national, is there, is there, will there be national organization venture racing? What kind of covers it? Who governs it? And so you're right. There's this, there's this one dynamic where right, racers just want to race, right? They want to go out on a weekend to know that their race or 10 days, that their race is well-organized and well-structured, good race directors working together. And so the average racer really doesn't get involved in all of that, but at the higher levels of the sport right now, there's a lot of conversation going on around the, around the direction of the sport. I myself will, will will share that I I remain relatively agnostic towards the entire conversation. I watch and observe, but I I am more than comfortable saying that when I see the work that ARWS is doing, spreading spreading the uh, the gospel, if you will, of adventure racing and organizing the, the different series and and the media and sharing that, is that someone who's a big fan of the sport. Uh, I'm very proud of the work that ARWS has done to bring the sport forward. I have no problem saying that as someone who who does his best to be embedded in the sport as possible. Um, and I think it's challenging too, because, and you and I both know this, and any race director out there is going to know this also, is being a race director, and regardless of the size of the race, 
being a race director is a labor of love in many ways. And it's, and it's all consuming and it's planning a lot. And I don't know many race directors that just direct races. Uh, most race directors I know are people who have jobs outside of the sport. And then in their free time, they love the sport so much and they love the experience so much that they spend their time, their effort, their capital, their resources to bring races to the world. Right. And I, and I find that time and time again, I mean, the amount of dedication that so many race directors bring to the sport is just, it's commendable. Um, and it speaks to the quality of the community. But all that other noise, though, I do agree with you. I think unfortunate is a really good word used to describe it. And it's a controversy that I hope that there's a resolution to it sooner rather than later, because I don't think in the long run, it's not good for the sport to have this kind of this conflict that's existing uh, between there. Um, so I appreciate you, you mentioning it. I appreciate you bringing that up because I think it's good for the listener to know that there are a lot of people that are working really hard on behalf of the sport because they love the sport, right? No one does this because for any other reason than the fact that they have a deep admiration for what adventure racing represents to them. And we talked a lot about that earlier in the podcast about all of that. Um, as you sit at your perspective right now and you've done all the races you've done and you see which way the direction of the sport is going, are there any trends that you're seeing in the sport? You mentioned pack rafting earlier, getting very popular, except in it would be eating, eating alive in Africa. We talked about the live tracking. We talked about the line racing versus the loop racing. As you look in your crystal ball, Stefan, and you see the direction of the sport, what predictions do you have for the way the sport's going to go in the future? Well, I think the, may, the major, um, the major um, thing is going to happen and I mean, I'm, obviously, I've got a bit of an inside lane, you know, because my wife is not. I can, you know, I can always hear in the background what they're talking about. But um, although I'm not, a, I'm not involved at all in aerial series. I mean, right. but I'm, not, you know, obviously, as part of the family, I think technology, technology, and and how do we make it live? I mean, meaning a lot of different things. How do we go from where we are now? I mean, I remember, like I said, when, I, when we started a conversation, my first video I saw was a VHS cassette, which you plugged in. You know what I mean? So that's 20 years. So, I mean, if I look, especially in, especially in America, you know, with all, with all the podcasts and live shows and interactions between people watching the dots, I mean, that I think is the biggest jump that's going to happen. I mean, you know, like a paddle is a paddle, a trek is a trek, these beautiful places, you know, people, one people put, you know, stop, run a circle, get back to their boats, other people go in a straight line, yeah, that's that's adventure racing, and 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 obviously the directors are the lifeblood. If you lose it, I mean, obviously the athletes are most important because there will be nothing without them. But after that, the race directors are the people who sort of keeps these things going for whatever reason, you know, motivates me. But I think from a technology point of view, and how we can get the media, because one thing I've definitely can see a little bit, I can see from behind the scenes with, with, with you know my wife being a CEO, is that everybody wants to be part of this. That is the most amazing thing that I can see. You know, people will volunteer. I mean, I look at that. We got, I mean, I mean, we're so blessed. I mean, we got, I've got, I think, 60 or 70 people who volunteer to come. Two and a half weeks to South Africa. Their own cost. Flying in. I give him accommodation. I give him a little bit of allowance for food and stuff. Obviously, here we transport them and, you know, there's no. But they're coming. They're paying their own flight tickets. They Two and a half weeks of time. I mean, time in these days are so valuable. They are willing to give, and I'll bet 90% of you know, you know, know maybe of us, but they don't know us. They don't owe us anything. So I think everybody wants to be involved. And I'm, I'm not talking from just from an athlete and a, you know, the normal variety of people that's involved in venture racing, but on your media point of view, you know, there's people who, who you know, just from, from a camera point of view, from a sound point of view, they everybody's got another a, 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 a idea. 
So I think technology, technology, how, and especially with our youngsters. I mean, I've got two kids, you know, I've got three children and my oldest is 50, but I've got two young children of 10 and eight. Technology is the key. If we want to get them into the sport, we have to embrace technology. I mean, even this whole thing about, you know, GPS or not, I know it's, it's you know, it's the type of a debate we never want to get involved in because, you know, but it, it's a thing that we have to think about. How much do we, how much does it really help you? How much, I'm saying technology, and that is why I'm, 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 I'm excited about we have a conference at the World Champs, and it's the only thing that's it's it's um it's sad again if we go back to the other stories. The conference is not about aerial series, it's not about Expedition Africa, it's not about Heidi and Stefan Miller, it's about adventure racing. So if we can we have an outside company that we have appointed now, we'll we'll make the announcement as soon as the entries on our close and we can focus on that. We're gonna run this conference totally independent of all of us, specifically for that reason. That we want all these people to come. We want people with these brilliant ideas. I know Heidi is speaking to other people, not really adventure racing, but also an endurance market, you know, with their technology and live TV shows. And I think, yeah, so long answer, long answer. I think technology is, is going to make this massive jump for our sport and put it into, you know, I can't even say put it in your lounge because that's that old phrase, and put it into your hand because it goes to your cell phone. I think that is where the biggest jump I think we're going to make, we, we, we will change our sport down. Yeah, I, I think that's it. We'll go back to the technology in a second because I think you're spot on when you say that. But I do want to come back to the volunteers for a second because it is amazing as someone who's volunteered at races and, and been at races with great volunteers. The I think people volunteer, people get involved because they recognize that a, an adventure race, and once again, agnostic to the difference, six hours, six days, nine days, 10 days, is that people, they want to be a witness to what happens during an adventure race that they want to see teams out there turning themselves inside out, working hard, challenges, you know, you know, kind of being a bit exposed, you know, learning about like nutrition and taking care of their feet, take care of themselves. And to be a witness to the beginning of the race to the end of the race and seeing that, that tale of the race to go through and to see what all the stories and the triumphs and the victories and the challenges and the, and sometimes in the defeats and the failures, because teams do fall apart volunteers love being a part of that, helping that happen. And they love being a witness to that. We did a, when we were last year, once again, the endless mountains, we were out in, in Clarion university in, in, in Pennsylvania. And I said to the, the, the staff of the hotel, of the dormitory where we were staying, the, this college dormitory, take a good look at these racers. They will look like different people when they come back in five days after the effort and all that goes through there. So I think you're, you, I'm glad you highlighted the volunteers. And I always like to say this during the podcast, that if you, this sounds interesting to you, contact your local race director and offer to go man a TA, to go work at a CP or whatever it could be. You see really, really, really cool things. Regarding technology, I think that you're, you're, you're accurate about that. I think as technology gets stronger and stronger, we're seeing it the ability to give the at-home viewer the opportunity to follow a race even closer. You could feel the energy coming behind it, whether it be the live tracking, the commentary shows, the daily updates, that it's it's getting to a point where more and more, um, more and more races are getting virtual in the sense that people could sit right on top of it at home. I follow a lot of the other sports that do this. And uh, there was a race called Cocodana, a uh, uh, 250 mile race out in Western America, out in Western U.S., um, and they had they had a very, very impressive live platform where they got a lot of technology for in the field reporting, like when the racers were running through transition areas, getting a sense of the racers. A lot of a lot of race directors now have like five minute media timeouts where the, every team has to talk to the media for five minutes. 
to update, to tell the story of the race, to create the narration. So I think you're absolutely right about that. Um, and alongside that is the GPS and the mapping technology gets better. We're getting a better sense of where everybody is on the course at the same time and what their challenges are. Um, you saw that at Ozark. Ozark did a really nice job with that, following along with that. So I think you're right. I think technology is going to be there. I think the, the bones of the sport will remain the same, right? Six disciplines. You're going to bike. You're going to paddle. You're going to you're going to you're going to trek. You know, you're going to be on ropes. You're going to be in caves. But to your point, the the viewer experience is going to get bigger and bigger. Um, so you're, you're you're absolutely right about that. And I hope that I hope that everyone can sort of see that and absorb that. And we encourage all those technology companies out there to think about adventure racing because there's a great story to tell. Um, yeah. we're, we're coming up in an hour, Stefan. You've been very kind with your time. I don't want to I don't want to mm -hmm. prolong your day. I know it's it's afternoon at home and it's a Saturday and you have all sorts of family stuff to do. You have young kids. Um, anything you want to leave us with? Any closing thoughts as you reflect on this conversation or you think about the upcoming World Championships? What do you really want the listener to take away from this episode? Um, I think I think having the opportunity to host a, 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 a world championship, especially for us after you know doing you know doing expedition races for over a decade, I think we um, we appreciate the honor. We um, we um, understand the responsibility we have, and uh, our race philosophy is the full experience. So from your first contact where you made your online entry, where you booked your air tickets, you arrive at the airport, we have our cultural dancers there, your first interaction with an animal, you know, the staff at the the food. I mean, now with the currency, I mean, we just yesterday hit a record lower. We now nearly 20 rand to a dollar. The people are going to pick up about 20 kilograms just eating in South Africa. You know, just it's, it's so cheap now. You know, it's not great for us, but definitely... For the overseas for the seas traveler but that whole experience from the from the, when you put your foot into our country and when you leave that whole experience we take utmost care for every of those elements there is now one element that's bigger than the element and, and if we can deliver on that experience that people just had whatever they came for they came for when they came for because we look and i look at our accommodation bookings we have many families coming we have our accommodation you know, it's like a sort of a five-day, six-day package, three days before, three days afterwards. And I would say more than 50% of our bookings are for 14 days in the same house. The people are bringing, I think one American team has got eight extra people on the transfer, you know, just coming along. And they're not volunteering. They basically can come and do something else here. So I think that whole experience, if we can, you know, deliver that experience to each athlete to make it a race, make it in a, in a totally cultural um, experience of, of all the new things they can find. The, the, the responsibility is huge. And it's not, a, it's not a thing that we take lightly. And we want to just want to deliver this utmost. You know, we don't say, we, we don't organize the best race ever. That's not the, the words we use. We just want to create this experience and make sure that people, whatever they paid to come to us, that we that, that they really can feel it was it was worth their while. Yeah. Well, well, Stefan, congratulations on hosting the first World Championship in Africa. You know, the, your organization's reputation precedes itself. We look forward to tracking along the way. The Dark Zone is going to be a presence um, across the ocean. We can't make it all the way to the race, but we're going to talk a lot about it leading up to it. Stefan, thank you for coming on to the Dark Zone. Thanks a lot. Well, there you have it. Stefan Muller, race director for the Adventure Racing World Championship coming this October to South Africa. Thanks for being here, listener. We really appreciate it. Special thanks to this episode's sponsor, Enabled Tracking. Find them online, enabledtracking.com. Thank you to Mark and Margo and everybody down there for taking good care of us as we watch the dots. Thank you for being a listener.
If you like what you hear, go to your streaming platform of choice and rate, click, like, do all that stuff. The algorithm likes that. Spread the word. And if you remember, if you keep racing, we'll keep talking. Be safe out there.